Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 46. Today is Monday, August 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, William Galloway. You can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway, where lots of podcast content is driven and shared among social media followers, so check that out there. Reminder that the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, so get the podcast on those three platforms. So glad you've chosen the Galloway Podcast to come in and listen to Chris Stewart today. We've got a great interview lined up with him, and we're going we're gonna to hurry through what's new today, and we're going to skim through around Alabama athletics after the interview because what is important is this interview with Chris is one of my favorite ones I've ever done, and so we'll get you to that interview with him momentarily. We start now on the Galloway podcast with what's new. Now, the primary story today is that college basketball and the NBA draft early withdrawal deadline was in fact today on August 3rd. There are plenty of names and most significantly we'll talk about John Petty with Chris Stewart but John Petty is returning to Tuscaloosa. Other guys coming back to college basketball include Trenton Watford and Javante Smart at LSU. Uh, Pons from Tennessee is coming back. UCLA's Chris, Chris Smith is coming back to UCLA and Gonzaga's Corey Kispert is is coming back as well. Robert Woodard, as expected, is staying in the draft instead of returning to Mississippi State. So we move on and what's new to college football and the SEC push back their season to September 10th. Of course, you've heard by now that they will have a 10-game conference-only season, adding two teams from the opposite division. So it's thought of, not confirmed yet, that Alabama will play Florida and Vanderbilt. We'll talk with Chris a little bit more about his thoughts on that, but that is the latest from the SEC um, in in terms of what's going to happen. Obviously, we talked to Charlie Hussey back in late July, and that was before an announcement was made. But check that episode out if you're looking for kind of the thought process that the administration of the Southeastern Conference uh, went through in, in terms of coming to that decision to make the SEC season a 10-game conference-only season. Now, also in college football, Pac-12 players want to opt out of fall camp and potentially the season unless the conference can guarantee player safety in writing. If you read that article yesterday, it was it was buzz on social media. Um, there, there are a lot of differing opinions here, and I'll, I'll say this. You can't guarantee safety in football, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're a scholarship athlete, a walk-on. When you put the pads on and the helmet on, you go to hit somebody, you can't guarantee safety. You just can't. And also, you signed a scholarship or you chose to be on the team if you're a walk-on, you accept what comes with it. If you don't like it, quit. But just don't expect your scholarship to be fulfilled and if you just want to be a student because you, you were signed on to come to school and play a sport, that's what the scholarship is. I can't go and sign a job contract and say, well, I don't want to go to work today. I'm just going gonna, gonna to stop working for them, but I expect them to still give me benefits and give me a paycheck. No, if you stop working, you quit, you get fired, you don't get a paycheck. If you're a scholarship athlete and you, you're saying, yeah, I, don't, I don't want to play, unless there's that agreement like the SEC had where it honors the, the scholarships, you can't just say, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to play. I'm, I'm going to boycott. Hey, well, guess what? You signed a scholarship. You're there to play football. Do your job, okay? If you want to quit, quit. But don't make this more complicated than it needs to be. We're going to move now on uh, to the 
MLB and what's new, the MLB COVID breakout, 10 games into the season, not even 10 games, we're 10 games in now, but the Miami Marlins uh, late last week, St. Louis Cardinals um, had some cases of coronavirus, and the league is just trying to move forward with it. Obviously, like I said, we're 10-ish games into the 60-game season. Uh, what What is the MLB going to do? I I don't know. They're they're trying to just roll with the punches and play through, and I respect that because as a fan, you want to see the product on the field, and if they completely stop everything due to a couple cases, that seems a little bit unnecessary. Also in the MLB, Giannis Cespedes straight up walked out on the Mets. The Mets are obviously not having a good season besides that season opener game uh, win against the Braves, but Cespedes this weekend just literally walked out, didn't even show up. His agent had to say to the team, yeah, he's, uh, he's not playing. So a little unrest there in New York with Cespedes and the Mets. Also in professional sports, the NBA began this past weekend. The season is continuing in the bubble, of course, in Orlando. It's nice to see the refs protecting uh, all of its stars, a.k.a. LeBron and Harden, getting away with every call. If you're like me, that's extremely frustrating, but rightfully deserved because they're some of the best players in the world. Uh, Justin Thomas got a win this weekend. He is now the number one player in the world. Congratulations, JT for achieving that number one rank. I mean, that is incredible. Back-to-back weekends, former Alabama golfers take home the trophy, and J.C. Well, his program, and the Alabama golf fans of the world are very happy for their former golfers. Now we're going to move on here to our interview with Chris Stewart here on the Galloway Podcast. Reminder, the podcast is available on Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. I'm joined now on the Galloway Podcast by the voice of the Crimson Tide, Chris Stewart. Chris, how are you? Thank you for coming on. Man, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. Well, absolutely. I had, uh, and I talked to you about this. I texted you a couple weeks ago. I had Andy Burcham on the podcast just a few episodes back, and uh, many Alabama listeners, I figured if I'm going to have the voice of the Auburn Tigers, I, I better have the voice of the Crimson Tide. So I appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, you you've given me a tough act to follow because because uh, I know Alabama fans may not want to hear this, but Andy's not only really really good at what he does as a broadcaster, but uh, Andy's my friend and has been for a long time. I love him to death, and um, absolutely horrific circumstances uh, under which he he got the opportunity that he has now, but nobody. Uh, nobody better for it, and nobody that Rod would want to have it more than than Andy Burcham. So wow. I'm uh, I'm happy for him and and his uh, his sweet wife and, and family as uh, as he's gotten through what I know had to be an incredibly difficult year to do that the first time around. Absolutely, and he did a good job and. Auburn was, and we talked about it on his episode, so if listeners want to, they can go back a couple episodes and, and check that out. Uh, but he had absolutely, you're right, an extraordinary set of circumstances, and Auburn had a good year. Uh, but you're, you're here to talk Alabama. That's that's what you're here for. And so we'll, well, and I'll tell you, the irony is I heard from him today. He texted me today, congratulations on John Petty returning for what feels like his 12th year in, uh, <laughs> in Tuscaloosa. And I'm sure for the opponent, that is the way it feels. He's getting the, the the way that he feels about Petty is the way we felt about Riley Norris. So, 
Absolutely. Well, let's let's go ahead and jump into it. I mean, obviously, the the number one topic of discussion today on this Monday is John Petty. Uh, he's one of four returners that had minutes last season, which is incredible when you think about the turnover that Nate Oates and his staff have, have done to this <laughs> roster. Uh, we know what we're getting out of him, but explain to the listeners why his coming back to Tuscaloosa is so important. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, for, I'll start with the Alabama perspective. You've got a young man who's a senior, a guy who's 6'5", stretches the floor exponentially with his range, got better as a rebounder, got better as a defender, and is a state of Alabama kid, understands how special it is to put on that Alabama uniform, and is, is going to come in knowing that he wants to help Alabama get to a spot they haven't been in a long time, and in the process try to get himself to a position that he's always dreamed of, which is being an NBA draft selection. Uh, that's that's the perspective, I guess, from from John and, and as it relates to Alabama. But let me tell you, as somebody who's who's gotten to know him over the last three years and saw him some in high school, but but really in these last three years, I am thrilled for John that he's coming back for a few reasons. Um, selfishly, I get to see him, I get to be around him for another year, get to see him for another season, and I think he's going to be a huge help for the Tide. That being said, I think he's going to go from being a fringe draft pick to a guy who can play his way easily with growth like we saw last year from sophomore to junior year, if there is a similar jump from junior to senior year, he's a first-round NBA draft selection, in my opinion. He will will have an opportunity to earn a ton of accolades for this Alabama team. And, William, he will always be remembered. If, if If this season goes as many of us believe it will and hope and pray it will, John will be a major part of the best year in Alabama basketball in quite a while, and he will be forever cemented along with Herb Jones uh, and, and some other guys I can name on that roster who will never be forgotten and will be in a very, very special place in the minds of Alabama basketball fans. I agree. Um, I agree a hundred percent. Instead of it being a what might have been situation, we're going to know. It may not go the fairy tale way that we hope it does, but I think it's going to have a chance to be really special for both John and for Alabama, and it's going to be better for his immediate future as it relates to the NBA, but for the long term future in terms of how he's always remembered as a, a part of the Crimson Tide family. I think. I agree 100%. And John Petty is one of those players, you know, you think about back to his freshman season when he had 10 threes against Alabama A&M. And people like you and me that saw him in high school knew he was special. And we knew what we could do, knew what he could do. And now you see him at the college level, and you think that game against Alabama A&M now three years ago feels like 10 years ago. Uh, in his career, Absolutely. he's been able to do so much and develop in this one more year. You know, I talked to college coaches in Alabama, former college coaches within the state of Alabama, and they said this is the year for Alabama, you know, and and we don't know what the circumstances are going to be like, but this 
Alabama hasn't arrived yet, but they are they are on their way to arriving, and this season is poised to be the breakout season if every player can reach his ceiling. And John Petty right. is going to lead the charge with his experience, with his scoring ability, and with everything he brings to the table for Alabama. Let me tell you, I am uh, I am far from a uh, world class chef, okay. But I have uh, I've fooled around with the grill and just a little bit in the kitchen during this this pandemic more than I ever have. And uh, you have the best recipe and all the finest ingredients, but if you don't mix them just right and put the correct amount in, it's not going to be. It's not going to taste right. But the ingredients are all there. The pieces are all there for this Alabama team. If they gel the way we hope they will, uh, in every, you know, if I'll give John as an example, if John can use this year, uh, with personal growth, but yet still locked into the team concept, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very special. And, And there are a lot of guys that will fall into a similar category. If they can find a way to be united, and play with a team concept while helping all of their their resumes for the the uh, short term and long term future. This could be a very very special year. But we're getting you know we're getting a guy back. And Petty, you talked about the ten threes against Alabama A and M. Thirty nine points last year in Birmingham against Samford, and that was just part of him raising his his points per game average. But if you saw it all year, and even though I didn't see it in person. Uh, except for the SEC play, and I actually happened to be at that Sanford game in Birmingham, even though I wasn't broadcasting it. Um, you saw John become a more complete basketball player. He wasn't just the guy who, on the night that he shot it well, was electric. He was a guy who contributed every night and did it on both ends of the floor. And if he can do that consistently this year, he's going to play a major role in this being a very special season. He'll play a huge role. Herb Jones will play a huge role. You mentioned oh. him and the you know the leadership. You've got Reese coming back. And the Alabama's problem is going to be that there's one ball because with all these new faces, oh, yeah. elite scores, really good length, you know, you could have the smallest guy out there next year be 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and yeah. not have it be a problem. It'll be a problem for the other team defensively trying to match up, but for Alabama – uh, it's it will not be a problem. Of course, as you said, if they can gel and if they can mix. John Petty averaged fourteen point five points per game in thirty three minutes a game last season. I want to ask you this, Chris, uh, with a lot of new faces and a lot of new names to learn. Do you have any Canadian accents or words or any? Have you taken any French classes over the past couple months? Let me tell you, I took two years of French my junior and senior year at Central Park Christian School in Birmingham, and I am so grateful that I will finally have an opportunity to use it. Between that and the baseball broadcast, I'll have uh, I'll have plenty of opportunities to work. I'm, I've worked on a couple of things. I'll, I'll have them down. I'm not ready to dust them off just yet. But uh, there, there may be, when the spirit moves me, there, there may be a French phrase or two that gets used, but... I just hope those guys coming in are, are playing at a level that we can all have some fun with, and I think they will. You know, it's, it's crazy to uh, to think about how this roster has been transformed. To to have to basically, and I haven't talked with Nate Oates about this, and I look forward to 
at some point. But I'm going to bet one of the toughest things that he's had to do as a coach is tell JV and Davis, hey, Jay, uh, I've got got to be fair with you. If JP comes back, you're the odd man out. That's a guy that you know is going to be a really, really good basketball player by the time his career is finished. And unfortunately, it's going to be finished just across the state line in Starkville. But for Javion, who did everything that was asked of him during his redshirt year, uh, during this past season, improved his play. But here's the deal. We've all played cards of some type at some level, and and you got a, such a good hand, and you got that one card you don't want to throw back because you know you're going to wish maybe at some point you had it. But at the time, that's the card you got to put back. That's the one you got to throw back in. And I'm afraid Javion is that, but, man, that is – that's still a really good hand that Nate Oates is holding right now. Absolutely, and it doesn't take anything away from Javion Davis. It's just the system None. and the way that Alabama's trying to run up and down the floor, and he's going to succeed in Starkville. I'm excited to to make yep. that trip down Highway 82. I'm excited for them to come, and I think the general consensus among the Alabama basketball fan base and the family there is that, you know, he is an extension of the Alabama basketball program now in Starkville. That it, just because sure. he leaves doesn't mean that he's not going to get support from Crimson Tide fans and coaches. And I'm 100% sure Nate Oates, his staff, and everybody are going to maintain a really good relationship with him moving forward. And let me tell you, for uh, and I probably should have done it already, but with Galen Smith now um, there in in Maryland and Talia. Tongue of a low. I may have to get me a Terps shirt at some point. And, as and well. Loxley as well, Coach Loxley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I buried the lead in that one, but those three, those are good guys, and and I hadn't even thought about it. But he's probably got a couple of guys on his staff that had the, the Alabama connection. But you're right. I mean, there just gets to a point where it happens a lot with guys. You know, when there's a coaching change, and I think it speaks volumes for both Javian and for Galen that it was a year later before we got to this situation. You know, Galen got his degree from Alabama, and I asked him, I forgot which game it was, but it was one of my first games back. It may have been, now that I think about it, it may have been the Mississippi State game, which was my first game back at Coleman, but we had Galen on as our post-game interview. And I asked him, I said, knowing that this style and this system probably wasn't going to fit you the way it might some other guys. Why'd you de- why'd you decide to stay? He said because I love the University of Alabama, and I think uh, I think we saw that with the effort that he gave. It was not the perfect fit. I think if the number situation had been different, that Nate Oates and his staff would have been really pleased to have Galen stick around. That that's not uh, it's not as if this is a young man that that you wanted to see go or you were trying to run off, I think it's simply of a matter of skill set fitting what they really need to do. And he's able to get his degree, got that on Saturday, picked up his diploma. Uh, I think he'll always be well thought of and respected. I hope he's one of those guys that we see that shows up, you know, in a couple of years and, and anytime he's able to, shows up back in Tuscaloosa and is recognized during a game and gets an absolute huge ovation because 
was a great person, great representative of, of the Tide. And but sometimes to uh, to fulfill your dreams, you need to change a location, and hopefully that'll be the case for for Galen as he goes to play for Mark Turgeon. Absolutely, and we'll definitely keep an eye on him and the Terps. And when we kind of shift things here, Chris. Um, you are covering uh, as the voice of the Crimson Tide. You cover all all fronts, and so so we'll jump around here from sure. Tide hoops to the football field. And yeah. uh, obviously, last year uh, was a very different set of circumstances, not only on the field but for you personally. And football season looked very very different. Um, but what? What can we look forward to in, in a 10-week season from the SEC and from, from Alabama and Nick Saban and his team this year? When you, when you look at this fall and, and everything that's so uncertain and it's going to look completely different, what do you expect to see out of this Alabama football team in a 10-game season? Alabama will be the more talented team, I think, virtually every week, uh, which has been the case for, for what, most of, of the last, 13, 14 years now with Coach. Um, That's where the conversation for the SEC championship, LSU was a deserving and impressive national champion last year. But the conversation doesn't start with Alabama. Uh, I think it's just because people are tired of starting the conversation with Alabama. If you're honest and you're realistic, it begins in Tuscaloosa. And it will in all likelihood, as long as, as that man wearing the straw hat on practice, the practice field is is still roaming it. Um, they're going to be unbelievably talented. The schedule itself, being an all-league schedule, uh, regardless of who Alabama has, will be, uh, relatively speaking, a gauntlet, minus the Vanderbilt game. And Vandy will play probably one of their best games of the year against Alabama because it's Alabama. But so will the other nine teams that Alabama faces because that's that's the team everybody points to in this league. I know there have been there've been rumblings about, you know, is it Vandy, is it Vandy in Florida? Uh, let's just say for argument's sake it is. I, I think it's awfully big. Do you play Vandy in Nashville and Florida in Tuscaloosa? Or did the Commodores come to Tuscaloosa, which really doesn't matter in terms of the outcome of that game? Don't tell Coach I said that. <laughs> um, You're right, but or, yeah. Or is it? Are you playing them in the swamp? I mean, that's a that's a major question mark right there. And, and Alabama's going to have a tough. I mean, you're what Alabama playing Tennessee, LSU, Auburn already, and Georgia, right? Georgia, A and M, who's Georgia, been well, building quietly that, the past you know, couple of years. They just add a couple. Um, yeah, I mean, Georgia was already on the schedule. So you know you're going to play all the Western Division teams and how good they are. But you got Tennessee, which is better than they've been in a long time. Uh, possibly Florida and, uh, and Georgia on there as well. It's a grind. And you're going to have to play either, in all likelihood, if you get to the SEC championship game, Tennessee, Georgia, or, or uh, Florida again. So... We'll see, but it's going to be crazy, but nobody's going to be excited to line up and play Alabama, I can guarantee you that. Oh, absolutely not. I saw a tweet today saying that the Florida coaching staff was complaining about playing Alabama. Well, you know what? Like that's that's pathetic to me. If you're if you're an SEC, if you're a coach, a collegiate coach or coach in any position, 
and you're concerned or scared or hesitant to play anybody, that takes away your competitive mindset. And from a recruiting perspective, who would want to go play for a coach that's not competitive? You know, I just, I, and I understand I it's Alabama. Thought, let me just tell you, I have some, some thoughts there. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I have some thoughts there that I love to share with you when we're not recording. How about that? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, we can, we can I'll, hang I'll on after the call. Myself, I'll behave myself somewhat, but I'll tell you later. Well, there you go. I'll I will I will schedule a lunch with you and we can we can have you that conversation it. then and there. Um you mentioned Coach Saban, obviously, and entering his fourteenth year and somebody you've gotten to know better than most people will ever get to know. And so I wanna ask you, uh there you could probably sit for three days straight and tell coach stories, but when you think about your relationship with him, what is something about Coach Saban that Alabama fans don't see maybe that you've seen or maybe there's a really good story you have share share one of your yeah. your Sabanisms if you will that you've learned about coach over yeah. the past 13 years well I can tell you in the last two years I've learned what a way really kind and gracious and generous person he is just with my own health circumstances with the the stroke and then this past year with the, uh, the illness and infection that occurred after my bypass surgery, the way he and Miss Terry reached out to, to me and to my family and, and uh, their daughter and son-in-law as well, I should add, just unbelievably kind with, uh, with several gestures, I'll just put it that way, that, that they made towards me and my family, unbelievably kind and, and, and so grateful uh, to them. I'm, I, I need to be fair and honest on this, you know, in, in terms of, you know, being close, I don't know that that's accurate because I, there, are, there are some that really are, uh, you know, golf, golf buddies, uh, you know, enjoying time on the lake with them. I'm not one that falls into that category. Uh, I think one of the reasons that the relationship has been as good as it as it is, and let me tell you, one of the neatest things I got was when I had somebody say, hey, you've been sent a message, and it was a video uh, that Coach Saban wanted to send to me after the taping of the television show one game. I can't remember who it was they played, but he sent the video to me where he, he just told me uh, that he was thinking about me and praying for me and missed me and, and hoped that I was doing well and, and looked forward to seeing me back soon. Uh, and I've seen him in certain situations where I think people would be surprised at just the the genuine kindness, uh, the sincere care that he has for people, whether you're talking about his players or whether you're talking about others. And, and my boss, Jim Carabin, whom you know, told me that uh, every week, as soon as the show ended, he was taking the microphone off and making a beeline for Jim to ask how I was doing and how I was in, improving. So on the personal side, there's that. The, uh, the other, I guess, my, one of my favorite or two, of, it's two in one, and I'll make this as brief as I can, William. But, uh, you know, when Tom Roberts was still working with us at the network before his well-earned retirement, he... Uh, was the producer of 
coach's television show. I was I was the host, but he was producing it, and we were uh, <laughs> we were taping the show after the win over Tennessee in Tuscaloosa. That was the seventh in a row. So this this was seven in a row is twelve. 2012, 2000-ish? That, that, that sounds right. However many years he's been at Alabama, that's how many he's won over <laughs> Okay? Well, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, way back. So it's it's the seventh straight. And the way we tape the TV show, just to feel the curtain back a little bit, you we tape it in segments. You know, so when we say, let's take a, when I say, let's take a look at the first half highlights, you know, coach isn't sitting there looking at highlights. We're we're stopping tape. You know how this works in in our business. We we stop tape and then we go and tape the next segment, which is the one coming out of the highlights. And basically, the show is put together like a a large puzzle. You know, it's edited right. together and, and put together. So we're we finished taping. You know, I have said let's take a look at the second half highlights. And so we're going to tape. Uh, We've stopped, and we're gonna we're gonna do a brief segment coming out of the second half highlights, and then we're gonna I'll throw it to a, a break for there. And Coach goes, "Well, what are we gonna talk about here?" And Tom Roberts, who would rather beat Tennessee than breathe, said, "Well, Coach, that's your seventh straight win over Tennessee, and if you've ever seen Coach fold his arms and put his hands underneath his arms." You know that is that's not the prime thing to see. Because Tom, Tom didn't kettle, give the right response. Kettle the kettle is percolating and it ain't whistling yet, but it will be soon. Okay? Right. So he puts the hands under the arms and he goes, Well, I ain't saying that <laughs> And I said and I don't know why, but it popped into my head, William, I said well, can I say it? <laughs> that, I'm sure he that goes, went over well. He goes, well, I'm not saying it, which I took to mean, yeah, you can. Right. So about that time, you got to remember, there's only about eight of us in the room. There's me. Uh, there's uh, two or three camera operators. There's there's Tom. There's my boss, Jim Carabin. There's uh, Jesse, the state trooper, and... There's also Jimmy Sexton, his agent, is in the room. So, uh, and Jeff Purinton, who at the time, who's now senior associate AD, but at the time was media relations director for football. And uh, he goes, well, coach, uh, you know that? He goes, uh, Kevin Norwood had six catches, and he ran through about three other, three or four other things, and coach puts his hand up, and he goes, okay, 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 I got it. He goes, I got it. And he doesn't even look at me. He just points kind of with his thumb towards me. He goes, he goes, you, uh, you say, you say whatever the hell it is you, you want to say, and then I'll ignore you, and and then I'll say what I want to say. Well, of course the room cracks up because he said I'll just ignore you, and uh, and and then I'll say what I want to say. And when the laughter died down, I looked at him. And I said, so basically, it's like every other show. And he said, yeah, pretty much. I said, okay, here we go. Three, two, one. And, uh, and we go into it, and sure enough, he ignored what I said about seven straight wins. <laughs> he goes, oh, all right, fast forward. 
We're on the field at Neyland Stadium the next year. We have beaten Tennessee again. I don't even ask for permission. I go, welcome into another edition of the Nick Saban Show. I'm Chris Stewart along with the head coach of the Crimson Tide. Coach, congratulations on the whatever the score was win over the balls. You're eight straight now over Tennessee. And he goes right into whatever, you know, he's going to say. Fast forward into the show. Uh, we're previewing the next game, uh, whatever the next game was, which I guess was LSU after a bye week. But uh, he finishes talking. I go, Coach, thanks for the time as always. Congratulations again on the victory over Tennessee. You're eight straight over the balls. And we'll see you next time here on the Nick Saban Show. Well, he takes the mic off. And basically to Tom, but not necessarily to anybody specific, he goes, has that ever been done before? And I knew what he meant, but Tom didn't quite catch it. He goes, Coach, what are you talking about? He goes, eight straight over Tennessee. And uh, Tom had to break the news to him, yes, Coach Bryant beat him, beat him ten straight years. And he goes, oh. And I almost felt sorry for him as he starts to walk off. And, I, again, I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I grabbed his arm. And I'll, I'll clean this up a little bit. But I grabbed his arm, and I said, hey, let me tell you something. You see these big old video boards they've got here at this stadium? They kept running highlights all night long of great moments in Tennessee history over Alabama football. But you know what, Coach? Not one dang clip was in HD because that stuff hadn't been invented the last time they beat us. <laughs> it was before it was before I was born, honestly. Yeah, and I've got to give credit. I think it was Tom Canterbury who originally came up with that phrase on Twitter, and I stole it. And if it wasn't Tom, I apologize to whoever it was, but I was trying to give credit right here, and I, I may have been given the incorrect uh, credit for that. But Coach looked at me for a second as though I had lost my mind and I thought I had but then the biggest grin I've ever seen on the man's face came across it he started actually laughing out loud he took about three steps then he stopped and looked back at me again and laughed again and I didn't need a cigar at that point William I had my victory stokey with that that's you can you can ride that wave for for quite some time Chris, like I said, you did something that not many people can do and make Coach Saban laugh, but you mentioned um, his his generosity and outreach to you the past yeah. the past two years. want to jump into that here for a little bit. Uh, the past 18 to 24 months have been a whirlwind for you, so what can you say? Uh, you mentioned Coach Saban and his generosity about, but about the University of Alabama, the athletic department, and your return to work this past year. What was that like coming back to work for you? Uh, it was needed, and, and I'll be honest, um, the guys that work with me the most and the closest, um, Ryan Passick and Tom Stipe, admitted to me they were they were a little concerned that I might be coming back too soon, uh, more than a little bit, and they kind of hoped that I wouldn't because I think they were afraid of me having either uh, – the first and foremost concern was about my health and would I be pushing it to come back uh, as quickly as I did once I got home from the hospital. Because um, I came home the day after thanks, excuse me, the day before Thanksgiving. And I was on the air January 4th with that first road game at Florida. And they worried 
that I would be able, uh, that I might be hurting myself, but also they were worried about me, you know, maybe not being able to do the job at a level that I would be comfortable with. And um, the reality is I didn't know if I could either, but I needed to be back. I needed to to do the ball game, uh, to know that I could do it, and just to feel normal again. And that was that was huge for me. But um, you know, I, I heard from uh, I think I referenced this a little bit earlier, but I heard from not only Coach but Miss Terry as well. Um, Brad Bohannon and his entire staff came to see me on a couple of occasions. Uh, one of the neatest things for me, the day of the SEC basketball media event at the Grand Bohemian in Birmingham, Nate Oates and his and uh, Herb Jones, Kyra Lewis, and, and some other members of their staff came in to town an hour early to come by Brookwood Hospital and see me and spend some time with me. And you got to understand, you know, I've been around Nate maybe a half dozen times. I'd, I'd flown down to a, uh, an event for Crimson Tide Foundation with him and Coach, uh, but we didn't spend a ton of time. I mean, he was spending his time talking with Coach Saban, as he should have. We just really had not had a, a lot of time to, to talk and to, to get to know each other that well. And like, like I said, maybe six times total. But here he is walking in the day of this media event, taking time out of his schedule and bringing those guys by to see me. And the, the lift that it gave me was just unbelievable. And actually, the first game back was the one January 4th against Florida. And then that weekend, Saturday, uh, or excuse me, the midweek game uh, we had against Mississippi State was the first home game, which uh, having my family there, uh, I had some members of the medical staff that had helped me, and a therapist, and uh, and some others that that came that I wanted to be there and be a part of that because they played such a, a huge role in me being able to, to come back and be a part of it. Um, it just meant the world to me to to be back and to feel normal and the the outpouring of uh, love and affection I got from so many people. Some that most that I knew, or I should say many that I knew, but most that I didn't, uh, is something that I will never, ever forget. They were so great. And uh, the whole season was, even though I only had uh, the conference season, um, you know, maybe William, one of the most meaningful nights I actually had was down at Auburn. Um, I, I was incredibly grateful for but not surprised at just how kind Alabama fans were to me and how they went out of their way to make me feel welcome and, and don't want it to sound for a moment as though I took it for granted because I didn't. But it didn't surprise me with their generosity. But when I go to Auburn and I have more than 30 people that I have never seen in my life come up and tell me that they've been praying for me, that they've been thinking about me and how glad they were that I was back uh, on top of it, Bruce Pearl sends something out to me on his way to shake hands with Nate Oates, comes by my broadcast position to, to welcome me and shake my hand. It was it was a special night. Now, 
I got over that real quick. We were down sixteen to nothing at the first media time. <laughs> it didn't. That didn't take long. Yeah. Uh, I've got to tell you this. I said we get to we're down we're down sixteen to nothing. We're at the first media timeout, and I sent a text message to Andy Bertram and Brad Law from the the Auburn Network. I said, "Don't want to concern you guys, but just a heads up, I am about to fake a heart attack and get the heck out of here because <laughs> I ain't going to sit through all of this." So uh, seeing seeing them finally get the message and grin and wave across the way. But to have that game, you know, turn out to be as good as it was and go to overtime, uh, would have preferred to get a win. But it was it was one heck of an effort. And I think a sign of of things to come in terms of the fight, and the grit we're going to have from uh, Native's coach basketball team. That that game was one of the most obscure experiences I've ever had. I went down there and filmed for the TV station. And I went down there, and there was two of us from the station that went. And uh, I shot the first half, and then I edited the highlights, sent them back for the 10 p.m. news. I think we were a 6 p.m. tip-off, so we wanted to get them back in time to at least have some first-half highlights. Well, the media room is a makeshift jungle gym, essentially, because they took the old media room out in that gym, I don't know if you noticed this, but to build that new, really fancy, really nice Auburn locker room. Obviously, you get the money from the Final Four, you're going to do that. And so I'm I'm editing highlights on this this makeshift, you know, there's tables, and, and we didn't get there in time to get a seat at the table, so I'm on the balance beam that they use for gymnastics with a 2005 Dell computer and you know, so grateful for the opportunity, so glad I was there, but I was editing highlights from this first half. And then, and then to make matters even crazier, they locked me out of, like they, they shut off the wall from the tunnel to the court. And so it was outside the Alabama locker room and I couldn't you know even see the second half. I couldn't get there. I didn't know what was happening until it went to overtime and then I went to shoot overtime. It was just the craziest experience. Yeah. Um, but but jumping. Well, I had a view of everything, and I'm going to tell you it was just as crazy where I was, even though the circumstances were different. But uh, to be down sixteen nothing at the media break, the first media timeout, and then I think it was either tied or it was a one possession game at the half. Uh, completely hit, you know, it flipped, and uh, that was a great effort. I've never been. I, I don't know that I've ever enjoyed a loss more if that makes any sense I didn't enjoy losing but I don't want that confused but just to to play their tails off the way they did uh, was really really special to see and that was obviously heightened by the rivalry and heightened by a really crazy setting Um, Auburn's got it you know and I told my friends when I got back, I hate to admit this, but they might have the best or second best basketball set up in, in the conference. They, they, they play in a tiny gym, but behind Kentucky, I mean, that place, they know what they're doing when they put on an well, event. Let me tell you, they're, and again, I know, I know what you mean. As, as an Alabama guy, it's, it's tough to give praise to your rival, but we need to give credit where it's due. Uh, in Kentucky, they'll sit on their hands until something good happens. Uh, and that's understandable because that's they expect to do well. So uh, it, it's not the most hostile environment until something good, really good, is happening. Uh, An eight zero run goes a long way in Rupp Arena. There is no doubt. But let me tell you, it is. They call it the Jungle at Auburn, and it's the perfect name because it gets wild. They do a great job with it. 
Did you? Okay, let me ask you this while we're on the topic of, of college and arenas around the SEC. Have you had the ice cream at Rupp Arena? I don't think I have. It is, for some reason, notoriously the best ice cream in the SEC. And I got it just for a snack. Is the Mississippi State? Because they got a creamery right there on campus in Starkville now. They know what to do with dairy yeah. products. I, I, I went I went with Hunter and Fluffopotamus, and we were um, – Well, by golly, those are your connoisseurs right Right, there. right. We were we were doing that game right. And it was a, it was a Tuesday night, but, you know, we I, I think I came down and talked to you all after that game. We, we couldn't even eat anything. I mean, we enjoyed Starkville, great, great town, hit up barbecue and everything. But once the game started and things were not going our way, I mean, I would have thrown up ice cream, that's for sure. Yeah, with the way that game was going, um, Chris, want to ask you one another question here? Um, when you look at your career at Alabama, and there are so many historic calls, but in the moment, and I, I have some experience being, you know, broadcaster reporter type type stuff and studying up on this, but you don't know that a call is going to be historic in the moment. You're just you're in the moment. You're calling it. So at, from a broadcaster's perspective, walk our listeners through making those historic calls that you don't even know might be played you know, outside Coleman Coliseum for the next 50 years. What are those moments like for you as a broadcaster? Well, they're special because, I mean, look, when Colin Sexton makes the bucket that he made in the SEC tournament to – to salvage the season because that's really what it was if if he doesn't make that bucket Alabama's probably not going to go to the NCAA tournament you're not going to get a chance at Auburn which you really really wanted uh, and understandably so considering how badly the Tide beat the Tigers in the very next game but that was huge for the season itself um in a similar vein, although different circumstances, Trevor Relliford making a three-quarters court shot uh, to beat Georgia in the final regular season game, you know, that one, that one will probably always be the favorite. Uh, it may not be the biggest, because that team didn't go to the NCAA tournament. That win kept the hope alive that they could get there. But... Uh, the, the short version of the story is there's going to be a celebration after the game of 100 years of Alabama men's basketball. We've been celebrating all season long. But for that particular game at halftime, you had the introduction of all the former players, managers, trainers, and coaches uh, there. You had you had Wimp. You had C.M. Newton. You, uh, you, had, uh, you had Mark Godfrey back as a you know, coach and player. I think for that one, or maybe it was... No, I'm sorry, that wasn't the one. Mark came back when they celebrated the uh, the anniversary of one of the SEC championship teams he was a part of as a player. But point is, there were a ton of people back for that. And it was a special, special night. And they're going to have a big party afterwards that I'm going to have to emcee. But, William, they blown a 20-point lead in that game in the second half. And Georgia's got the ball with a chance to win. It's a tie game. Georgia's got the ball. They're going to get the last shot. And all of a sudden, uh, Charles Mann loses the ball. Uh, Nick Jacobs, who who took a charge or was in, I shouldn't say he positioned himself where he could have, 
but held his ground. Rodney Cooper has the ball in his hands, flips it to Trevor, and he releases the most beautiful shot. He didn't throw it. He shot it in motion from three-quarters court, uh, or I'm sorry, between the, uh, the, the free-throw line and the mid-court strike and let that sucker go, and it had the perfect spin, and it hung in the air forever. And when it goes through, the entire place exploded. And I, I lost it just like Tom Stite did, just like Brian Passink. And it was the most enjoyable because you, you literally think you're about to lose this game. And then now all of a sudden, instead of OT or losing it, you won it. And for selfish reasons, I'm not going to have to go MC, um, you know, what would have been the equivalent of a funeral. Exactly. As opposed to a party for 100 years of Bama basketball. That one, that one for all those reasons I just went through, is probably always going to be the favorite until we win the national championship. And then that'll, that'll surpass it. 2000, so 2012, that was, I was, I, I don't know, I was, I was young, probably middle school at some point, and I just remember watching that game on TV thinking, was there a glitch? I mean, did, did he really hit that shot? And then, and then obviously the Sexton call my freshman year, I was in a, I was in a science lab. I was in this biology for non-majors lab, and the teacher's talking, and I've got the game pulled up on my laptop. And Sexton floats it in, and I kick my foot on the lab table underneath me, and it just makes this big doink sound. And I grit my teeth and grunt, and I said, Ooh, you know, it was just one of those obscure noises. And everyone looks around me like, are you okay? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not okay. We're going to the big dance. So... It's Those you know special. Ron Steele hit one to beat Georgia one year. Uh, made a spinning move that Georgia thinks he traveled, and they may they may be right, but it wasn't called. And he made the shot at the buzzer and, and won. Um, well, let, and, let me tell you, he didn't do that. And and uh, who was it for Virginia two years ago? He didn't double dribble either. So. I have no clue what you're talking about. I oh, oh, the, was your national champion and deserving one at that. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to get in that. The final four game against Auburn, it was it was Ty Jerome. Sure, he dribbled off his leg. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I just know Virginia won the national championship. They were very deserving. That's a great win we, we, to the final four. We have to throw that in there. You go right ahead. All right. Boy, well, did I enjoy their boy, did I enjoy their run to the national championship. <laughs> Oh, still, still blame uh, New Mexico State for not hitting their free throws in the first round, but that's a different story. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. All right, so, so some quick hitters here as we close things out. Um, obviously, I like to end things on a little bit lighter note. So, um, Dwayne Rebull like was. This has been serious. <laughs> like, this it's has serious. been any, any type of serious conversation. Yeah. Um, and we've been having fun, so we'll continue to have fun with these quick hitters. Dwayne Rebull was inducted into the Alabama yeah. Sports Hall of Fame this weekend. Uh, what, what are your some, some anecdotes or memories of him? Uh, obviously, uh, I've gotten to know him with knowing Coach Bucky, and uh, he is just a legend in this state. But you obviously had the privilege of working. Uh, with him at Birmingham Southern. So what's he like and how deserving is he of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame? William, if I'm not uh, at Birmingham Southern, I'm not at Alabama. And I was at Birmingham Southern because of Dwayne Rebo. 
Uh, he offered me an opportunity to do their national tournament games at the NAIA tournament in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1995. The way it, it played out, they had three games uh, in the in the middle of the day when people were at work and uh, you know just like you were describing listening on your or watching on your computer back then um, you know that you didn't have the live streaming necessarily from a video standpoint but but people were listening on radio while they were at work to to the team that was still playing uh, in postseason basketball Birmingham Southern had won like 28 or 29 in a row maybe 30 straight going into the national tournament. Uh, had an unbelievable season and people were keeping an eye on it and it gave me some exposure that I had not had in the, in the market. Um, it actually turned out that somewhere down the line, I guess it would have been in my seventh or eighth year, um, Mark Godfrey actually was driving through Birmingham with Ra Ra Scott recruiting uh, a kid and just scanning the radio, picked up the Birmingham Southern Broadcast, realized it was me, and uh, a year, two years later, I'm I'm his play-by-play guy. So wow. they were Dwayne was phenomenal to me. He created the play-by-play position for me. Uh, it was postseason, I think, for two years, road games for another, and then five years of doing all their their games where they created a radio package and just a, a dear friend. He was over uh, when I first came home from the hospital. He goes, can you eat yet? I said, I'm trying to. I'm trying to put some weight on. He goes, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm making red beans and rice tonight for you. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the New Orleans New Orleans guy, as he calls himself, or as he says, it just never had more fun than I did with Dwayne and his staff. I actually took my, my son over just to see Barry College over in Rome, Georgia, the other day to visit with Mitch Cole, who was a part of Dwayne's staff. He had such great people around him he would not allow anything other than that one somebody asked me today on twitter or they made the statement he would have loved to have seen him in alabama i'm telling you Dwayne would have won anywhere he went that cared about winning if he had had any opportunity in terms of resources uh not many people know he was very close at one point to having the mississippi state job there were a lot of people in starkville that want that were at the top that wanted him to have the job. Things didn't play out, but I'm telling you, the guy would have won. He would have done it right. Uh, special man, special coach. Uh, the greatest thing I can say about him is the fact that he may be the finest husband that I have ever known. The, uh, the way he cared for and loved for his amazing wife, Rainey, who battled uh, Alzheimer's and was so physically ravaged by that terrible disease, uh, basically taking what was an incredibly sweet, vibrant, uh, outgoing, lovely lady and just doing physical uh, and mental damage to her. It's just a terrible disease. Dwayne never left her side in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, special man, very grateful I had the chance to, to work with him and that I'm able to still call him my friend. Absolutely. He was, I was with him last week and he, um, he had Chick-fil-A biscuits. So he gave me a Chick-fil-A biscuit, but I'll have to hit him up for red beans and rice next time. Um, tell him you, tell him you talk, tell him, say, I've been talking to somebody. I need, I need the red beans and rice. I will, I will inquire about his red beans and rice. Did you overlap with Bucky at all? Did you call any of his games? Or? Uh, not, not as the play by play guy at Birmingham Southern. 
But when they came to Tuscaloosa and took Birmingham, excuse me, took Alabama, I may have said that wrong, when they came to Tuscaloosa and took Alabama to the wire in what was either Mark's last or next to last season, uh, Jean Felix, it was amazing. Dwayne and I have talked about this a lot. They thought they had signed Jean Felix twice, once out of high school. And then again, uh, once coming out of school in Mobile, and then again coming out of, of Birmingham at Central Park Christian, where he played uh, basically an extra year of high school to try to get some of his credits that he needed that didn't transfer from uh, from growing up overseas. Then he goes to junior college. They had, they had him twice. Then he goes the junior college route because he's going to come to Birmingham Southern after that, and he goes for 40 on a night that Philip Pearson is recruiting him and uh, or is watching this particular JUCO game, and suddenly he was going to be a D1 guy, and uh, that's how he winds up in Tuscaloosa. And dang, if he doesn't knock down a three with about 50 seconds to go to beat, uh, to beat the team that Bucky was on at Birmingham Southern, or BSC would have pulled an upset. I'm, I'm convinced if they had stayed Division One. Uh, that would have been a program that would have been on par at a minimum with a Winthrop, maybe um, could have eventually at some point, some way, been a Gonzaga. Right. Yeah, I'd, I I was on a bus in high school. We were going to Bob Jones, and Bucky rode the bus sometimes. He did for, for far games, and obviously if we're going from Birmingham to Huntsville, he's going to ride the bus with us. But one of the trainers turned and looked at me, and she said, was was Bucky a good player in high school? And I'm sitting third or fourth row, and Bucky, I guess, had his ear out, and he was a couple rows ahead. And I said, you know, I, I've talked to my dad about this and talked to a couple people. I've heard he was pretty good. Like, I don't know how great he was. And that caught his attention. He turned around, he looked at me, and he said, Galloway, you, you listen up right here, all right? I, I play basketball for Dwayne Rebol at Birmingham Southern when they were Division One. I. I know they're not Division One uh-huh. now, and you were in diapers when you know when they were, but yeah. I was I was a hell of a player, all right? <laughs> let, me you, let me tell you, he's right. He made a play, and I don't remember what the play was. It was an assist, I'm almost positive. He was a point guard, you know, uh, not surprising. But he made a pass that was so good and for a split second I forgot that I was working for Alabama rather than still back at Birmingham Southern and I almost got too excited about the pass that he made that resulted or the play that he made that resulted in a bucket. So yes, the man could the man could play. He can hoop. He could, he's he he's flat out get after it. I, I I could give him a run for his money now. He's getting old, but don't tell him I said well, that. Um, all right, so so next quick hitter here, best tied hoops road trip. What do you circle every year on your calendar? Mm, we love Fayetteville. Uh, you know, the arena's great, but it's the radio crew, uh, come heck or high water, we are going to get to Herman's Rib House. And they know us at Herman's, and they take good care of us. And uh, there is nothing bad on the menu, whether you're going ribs, uh, as you would expect, whether you're going steak, whether you're going pork chop, which tastes like a steak, uh, or even if you're there at lunch and you decide you want the hamburger, it is a it is basically um, you know how there's a signature place everywhere, right? And there are more options in Tuscaloosa now than there've ever been. But back years ago, 
if you wish Tuscaloosa from out of town, you're going to Dreamland, and you're going to the old Dreamland. For like, sure, for you, sure. You Rib, ribs only, only ribs. Yes, and and Herman's is a little shack which is almost with almost burned to the ground, and they redid it, and it's a little nicer shack than it was. But I'm telling you, it was Dreamland with a slightly expanded menu and checkerboard tablecloths. Well, uh, so so Luke Ratliff and I get all the most of the away games. I I can say we can call ourselves the Alabama basketball grounds crew because we cover you know every mile between Tuscaloosa and, and whatever school we're playing. Normally a midweek game, you know we're we're, yeah. we're throwing class out the window and, and headed to Baton Rouge on a Tuesday night because why not? And uh, we'll have to we'll have to join you and Brian and Tom and everybody uh, for for some food this year. As the, the as, as the ground crew hits know the road. What the schedule, yeah, I don't know what the schedule is, but I'm always disappointed when it does not include a trip to Fayetteville. I'll yes. tell you that. And so as we talk about your crew, our next quick hitter involves Brian Passink. It's his birthday today. I'm going to spare him by not saying his age, but what does he mean to you uh, as a friend but also as a broadcast partner? Well, I, I'll tell you, and I've, I've said this many times since I've, got out of the hospital and, and I said it even to a few people while I was there Brian was my friend before but he's my brother now uh, the way he took care of me uh, and my family just unbelievable and there were a lot of people that were really really good to me but I will say that nobody was better than Brian he was there all the time anything that I needed anything my family needed he would come and get my son and, and take him to uh, come bring him by to see me at the hospital and then take him to a gym to, to work out so he could get his mind off of things with me uh, and help him improve. My son's 15 and uh, played ninth grade basketball at Hoover last year, trying to make the JV team this year. But Brian was just, was and still is unreal, protective, uh, as, as a brother would be picks at me uh, as, as a brother would uh, we have a great time and I just uh, there's not enough I can say about it great man, great father great, uh, great husband Maggie and uh, as good a friend as I've ever had Somebody I'm super thankful I can pick up the phone and call any time with, you know, college student advice or professional advice or just to to shoot the breeze. And he is, yeah. you know, he will always, always answer. So, Well, and you, and you asked me about the broadcast part, too. Let me tell you, he's, a, he's so unselfish. Uh, I, these moments that you referenced, okay, with, you know, the, the play-by-play calls and all this, you go back and you listen. You never, ever, ever hear Brian talk over me. And let me explain why that's, you know, you know this, because we've talked about radio before, but why it's so important. You know, it's not that I'm more important than Brian. It's not that my job is more important than Brian's. But on television, you can see the picture, and because of graphics and other things, and by no means demeaning, the play-by-play and color analyst there, but you can follow the game in large measure without the sound up. You know, you watch it all. You do it all the time at a sports bar, a restaurant, watching a uh, a ball game on television. 
But with radio, if I'm not telling you the score and the time, the location of the ball, uh, and who's released the shot, if I don't paint that picture for you, you have no way of seeing it on your car radio as you're driving down the road. So he understands that, and as excited as he may be, and I guarantee you, he he was every bit or more happy than I was when Colin made that shot, when Trevor made that shot. He's so good at making sure he doesn't just scream out loud that would basically distract the listener from finding out what's going on. He allows me to be the only loud idiot that is heard in the moment. <laughs> And, uh, and I appreciate that, again, not because of uh, feeling like I have a higher place in terms of the pecking order. It's just the nature of the job. If I don't paint the picture of what happened, his analysis won't have the same context. And he gets that, and he's so great at it, and I'm very grateful I've got a partner that does. Absolutely. Okay, so next quick hitter here, second to last one, fill in the blank. Alabama will make the NCAA tournament if blank. Uh, we don't have an issue with coronavirus. Fair, fair. I, 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 I think we can all we can all live with that. I, I believe in Nate Oates, his ability to take what is uh, a, an infinitely better fit for the style of play that he wants to play with this roster than last year. They were so close. When you go back and look, William, at the number of games they lost by possession or two, that. Uh, you can even claim not could have won, but should have won. I think in year two, with more pieces and a better understanding of the by the returning guys of what he wants done, I think this has a chance to be one of the most special seasons we've had in a long, long time at the University of Alabama. All right. As long as Corona doesn't, COVID doesn't get in the way. Right. And Chris, I'm, this is I'm, I'm throwing this in here, so we, we now have two more questions. But you don't have a middle name. That starts with J, do you? Because when you look at Alabama's roster this year, Javon, Josh, John, Jaden, Jordan, Juwan, James, you're not you're not a, a John Chris Stewart, are you, or anything like that? No. My favorite hockey player was named John Christopher Stewart, who played for the Birmingham Bulls back in the 70s. But uh, that was a big deal for a kid to have a, a pro athlete with the same name. But, uh, no, I'm Christopher Mark Stewart, so I am not – uh, I'm not Javian. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the one that left. Uh, you know, you, you got a long list of J's. Right, pick, pick and choose. Well. Absolutely. And I'll shoot the J, and it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Well, okay, ending ending things here. Th- we talked about Fayette Villas you know, being your favorite road trip. Three must-dos in Tuscaloosa. And, and this is this is not go to a football game, go to a basketball game. This is this okay. is restaurants, bars, places that you need to visit. You got to take in Hey Coach once. All right. You got to experience that to get a real grasp for the the production that that is. You know, I filled in as the the host uh, talking about during football season. Right. I did, I did a story on that last fall, so I'm going to wholeheartedly yeah. agree with you there. Yeah, I think that's something you've got to experience at some point. I think, um, you know, beyond going to the game itself, and I realize I may be pushing things and get too close on a game day, you got to experience the quad at some point. 
Okay. On a, on a game okay. day weekend, not when it's 90 degrees in September and students have their AirPods in walking to class. Yeah, unless you're going to sit under a tree. Okay, okay. Then, then that's a different deal. But yes, I think a game day quiet experience is uh, is required. Um, man, that's that's a really hey, you got to do the Bryant Museum, and I and I've cheated a little bit with my last suit because I've gone sports, uh, even though you. You're talking about not games, but those are not games, but those are just, those are things I believe you need to experience at some point. I think if you want a history lesson, you go through Foster. Uh, oh, absolutely. And the fact that, that you go from having uh, George Wallace standing in the schoolhouse door trying to deny admission of the first African-American students in the history of the school to that place being brought back by the first African-American student-athlete in Wendell Hudson, who was then uh, the women's basketball coach and was the guy who really was, I think, the, the major player in in making Foster uh, a part of the athletics family once again and the restoration of that building. I think that's that's really special, but you need to, you need to see that to, uh, to get a feel for the history of of the university and, and what it means, the chimes. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the tourist landmark stuff here, but you got to go to Old Dreamland. You know, right. I've done that in quite a while, but you got to go to you got to go to the original man. Go go when you're hungry too. I mean, don't go, don't yeah. skimp out and and don't don't wear a white shirt like I made the rookie <laughs> mistake with one time. I came with a group from Montevallo. We made the road trip from Motown. Uh, on a probably a Wednesday or Thursday night to Tuscaloosa in, in Dreamland, and I wore a white shirt and somehow came out unscathed. But man, that was uh, risky business right there. It was. Uh, I was I was as nervous as a long tailed cat at a fan factory. Man, I was I was uh, a little uptight. Absolutely. All right, Chris. We're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here, but just. Uh, thrilling and enticing conversation over the last hours very much enjoyed catching up with you talking alabama athletics telling stories swapping stories even though mine pale in comparison to yours you're just, just older than you man yeah, just you're just older than you. that's totally different you're you're one of the best in the business and inspiration somebody you know i followed since alabama was on css and and the tv you know would, would go out in the middle of the first quarter um but but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and sharing your time and your stories and I look forward to my senior year and seeing you down um frequently in tuscaloosa you got a bright future my man and you're doing a great job right now uh people tend to know at your age to talk about the future but you're doing a great job now appreciate your friendship and i appreciate you having me on Really fun interview there with Chris Stewart. Thank you so much to Chris for the time. Uh, One of the longer interviews I've done, but one of the more enjoyable. And he has so much to say and a lot of wisdom to impart, some great stories to share. And so I'm glad that we could get just a little bit of that. Um, I could sit there and listen to him talk for days. I mean, the man has, has done so much for Alabama athletics and has so many great stories that I'm glad we could get a taste of that here on the Galloway Podcast. We really did go all the way around Alabama athletics athletics in that interview. And uh, I guess the only thing we didn't really cover that we can talk about in this Around Alabama Athletics segment 
is that five Alabama guys are sitting out so far in the NFL season. Uh, C.J. Mosley, Chance Warmack, Dante Hightower, Andre Smith, and most recently Christian Miller have decided to sit out of the NFL season due to COVID concerns. Rightfully so, you can think what you want, but these guys are protecting themselves and thinking long-term, how can I be healthy and play in the future? And if it means sitting out a season, for most of these guys, it's probably the right call if they're doing it for personal reasons. Now, the contracts and everything like that, is to be negotiated. That's a topic for a different day, but that is the news that five Alabama guys are sitting out so far in the NFL this upcoming season. This is the Galloway Podcast, episode 46. Today we went through what's new, a brief overview. We talked to Chris Stewart for a great conversation, then we wrapped up talking about the five players who are going to set out the NFL this season. I want to remind you that tumblers, coffee mugs, and golf towels, as well as game day stickers are for sale. We've done shirts, we've done hats, we'll try and do some more Galloway Podcast merchandise this fall, maybe roll out some comfort color shirts, who knows? We'll see, but follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Stay tuned, there will be plenty more content content coming and hopefully some more and some new merchandise coming this fall as well. Once again, thanks to Chris Stewart. This is the Galloway podcast where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.